0: BLOB TALK RADIO
1: Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Me, a Cancer Diagnosis, Adaptogens for Long Life, and Abundantly Well Companion Course. Thank you, Susan. Good
0: evening.
2: Good evening, everybody. Wow. Yay,
0: everyone.
2: Thank Uh you for joining us. For a while, it seemed like (coughs) spring was here. The daffodils are blooming. My peach tree is in bloom, but is it ever cold? I hope I'm going to get some peaches. It might go below freezing tonight, in which case all those flowers would just fall off. Even the forsythia has browned up a little from the cold nights. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And
0: so in Alaska it's beginning to really look like spring for us up here. But we may get some more snow. So we just roll with it these times of years, folks. This is why we can peaches, right? Or preserve them. So just in case we have extra next year.
2: <laughs> yes, this is the third third peach tree that I've had that has grown from a pit in the compost. Wow. I have never planted yes, a peach
0: tree, and family. I have
2: gotten hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds of peaches. It turned out that the native people of this That's area didn't plant apples. They planted peaches. Peaches were far more dependable for them.
0: Everyone, I've heard this. I love this. Yes.
2: Yeah. It's odd, huh? It's beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Well, so and, it and the, and the peach tree it's, came it's at awful. such a perfect time because my shesandra was really languishing, and the peach tree began to grow, and it said that the shesandra climb up on me. And they are such a beautiful wow. sight together, the peach tree with its pink flowers and the schisandra with its bright green leaves leaping out, twined among it. And they do seem to be cooperating and living together very happily. Wow. That's great.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I always notice my compost pile is some of my best garden material. I get my best mm-hmm. things. To grow right out of that compost pile, yes. My daughter was 22. She and I joke about that. Remember we dug the compost pile and found XYZ? Because you will. It's wonderful.
2: Speaking of gardening, we have a gardener that we are going to be talking to tonight at 9 o'clock my time, or in about an hour and a half, a little less, Nicole Moore. She is especially interested in gardening and child rearing so stay tuned hang in here with us or come back and um, let's hear what Nicole Moore has to say about conscious evolution and how we start that with how we have our babies yeah yes
0: looking forward to
2: that indeed indeed Last night, I did my usual monthly chat at Enchanted Forest. Enchanted Forest is a a lovely Ning website where people who are interested in magic get together. And they have a great many um, classrooms. And I go once a month and teach a little class this year. Uh, My theme is Slippery Slimy Herbs. And we spent some time at the very beginning talking guess. about why free and slimy is so important and why Arnold Erwitz's yes. diet is not so good. And last night we talked about aloe. And, of course, we all think of, oh, aloe is great for burns. But it turns out that aloe is antibacterial and, get this, on the skin antiviral. If you're wow. concerned... Right about COVID-19 and you don't want to wear a mask. Yes. I certainly don't want to wear a mask. Take some aloe vera gel and rub it all over your face.
3: There you go. And it will kill any,
2: kill any viruses that are on your face, so you won't be transmitting them, and it will protect you against any viruses that come your way. Wow. And it's very especially effective against coronavirus, as colds and flu. Who knew how amazing, huh?
0: Well, I and love aloe and I, I always I say, "Oh, you know really the goddess."
2: Beautiful. Yeah, the goddess always um, brings me um, to the exact place I need to be at the exact right time. Such a blessing.
0: Exactly, exactly. We have so much all around us, and you are such a wealth of knowledge on many, many plants. So wherever we are in the world, if we ask you, chances are you have a tremendous amount of information for us to benefit from.
2: Thank you, thank you. We're it's we're seeing experience. a big uptick in people coming to get the free <laughs> course at Wise Woman School. So we want to remind everybody that there is a free course on herbs yes. to help you prevent and deal with COVID nineteen right there at wisewomanschool dot com. And um, come and join the other people who are making use of that. It sounds good it's to very me. Very beneficial. Just a few statistics that I gathered this week. A average year in the United States, a million people have a heart attack, to say not all of them die. Nonetheless, your chances of dying of a heart attack this year are 10 times greater than your chances of dying of COVID-19.
0: Heart attack and heart
2: disease kill more than half of the people who die every year. So I'm wondering why we we are not, you know, as a culture saying, all right, everybody out there, get out, you know, and get your heart healthy. And cancer is also a very big killer. Your chances of dying of cancer are four times greater than your chances of dying of COVID-19 this year. So keep those things in mind. Keep yourself healthy. The um, World Health Organization says that on a yearly basis – Um, between 290,000 and about 700,000 people die of the flu. So the mildest flu year, 290,000 people die of the regular flu. At this point, the death rate from COVID-19 is still less than half of that low number. I've heard some pretty fearful things. Somebody told me 7,000 people are dying a day in New York of COVID-19. No, 7,000 have died since the beginning of January, but not a day. And somebody said, oh, I hear that it attacks your organs. No, it doesn't. But if you have something wrong with your kidneys or your heart or your lungs, then those things are not going to be able to withstand it for sure. So I'm hoping that putting something in perspective will help us all be a little calmer because, of course, fear and anxiety is very bad for your immune system. So, that's our update on what's going on. Do we have any people who have questions tonight?
0: We sure do. And thank you for that update, Susan. You're right. Of course, <laughs> it goes without saying. Is it fear? No. So thank you for that update. And um, we are going to take some callers. If you have a question for Susan, please press 1. And our first caller is from the 985 area
4: code. Hi, Susan. This is Katie. Hi, Katie. Hello. How are you?
2: I am enjoying the day, although it was pretty cold and rainy. How about you?
4: I'm good i'm I'm making bread, actually, so I'm going to ask my question and then probably have to listen to the call later because I have to do some um, stretch and folds. Some kneading. Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, so my question for you tonight is about um, well infusions and tinctures it's a, It's a bit of a general question. I know that for our nourishing herbal infusions, we need to use dry plant matter as opposed to fresh plant matter. And that makes sense from a volume perspective because fresh plant matter, you know, takes up so much space. And I've also heard you say it's because, because of cell wall breakage, like we need dry plant matter. But I guess I'm confused. If I put like fresh comfrey in a jar and pour boiling water over it, aren't the cell walls going to break?
2: No. If you put a piece of wood in a jar and pour boiling water over it at the end, will it not be wood? It will still be wood. That's cell walls. The wood is made of cell walls. Mm -hmm. They're very, very
4: tough. Or what about a leaf? It doesn't matter.
2: I'm sorry, what about doesn't, is not a question.
4: Oh, so so if we. Cell walls are,
2: plants have cell walls they are very tough. They can be broken by applying heat for sufficient time, freezing, dehydrating, fermenting, and covering in oil. And you can tell when cell walls are broken because there is a color change and a texture change. If you take fresh nettle and drop it into boiling water, there's no color change or texture change. Even if you cook it for an hour, there's very little color or texture change. I usually cook it for a couple of hours, turn it off, let it steep, and then cook it for another hour or so before I serve it, and there's still not a lot of color and texture change because cell walls are tough. Mm -hmm. When you're making a tincture, however, you don't need to break the cell wall because the tincture is being made by osmosis.
4: A little bit more with salt, you know, this idea that, like, if we apply salt, Salt's drawing water out, and then at the same time, salt's going into the matter, to the plant matter, because we're, you know, it's just trying to balance itself. But the same thing happens with alcohol?
2: Osmosis is the desire of constituents to be the same on both sides of a permeable membrane. Okay. So... When you put the fresh plant in water, the fresh plant is already 75% water. So you do not get much osmosis there. Right. Okay. Right, Because it's already pretty even on the two sides of the cell wall. Mm
5: -hmm.
2: When you use 100-proof vodka, and this is why 80-proof doesn't work, because it's only 40% alcohol, so it's still 60% water, so you don't get a very strong osmosis. But 100 proof is 50% water and 50% alcohol, so now there's a big enough difference between that 50% water and the 75% water that the plant wants to equalize across the cell wall. Okay. Okay. And so it gives up its constituents into the menstruum, into the alcohol water in order to get more water into it. In order to to get the extra water that it has over into the other thing, it gives up certain things. And that's how a tincture is made. The drive in making tinctures has been for hundreds of years to make the tinctures more and more drug-like. The more surface area of the plant that's exposed, the more of those constituents will go into the alcohol. So first dried plants were used and then dried powdered plants were used because that maximizes the surface area. And with the ability to create high proof alcohol, which is not easy to do, that started being used because again, there's a much greater difference there, right? If it's 198 proof, then that's only 1% water. So you have a huge osmotic draw using that, but you don't get any any of the water soluble constituents. I remember my peers coming to me rather, you know, with egg on their faces, when the big news was that half of the active compounds in Echinacea are water-soluble. And it was one of the reasons why the Echinacea tinctures that I was making and my students were making in 100-proof vodka, which is half water and half alcohol, were outperforming the Echinacea tinctures they were making with 198 proof because while they were getting more of the alcohol-soluble constituents, they weren't getting any of the water-soluble ones.
4: Okay, well, that is, that is what I needed to hear, because I realized that I, I've been do, I, I do what you say. I've been doing infusions with dry plant material and making tinctures with fresh plant material, but when people ask me, I just realized that I was repeating what you said and not fully understanding it. So I felt like I needed to ask you that question, and I'll probably re-listen to your answer when I re-listen to the blog.
2: It's a deal. Thanks for your question. Okay. Thanks for calling. Dreams okay. Like.
4: Thank you, Susan. Bye. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Next caller is from
2: 781. Hello?
6: Hello,
0: 781. Is Hi. Yes, I think that's me. Hi.
6: Thank you both for taking my call and being here and being such a support um, at this time and, and many other times. Um, I wanted to say just anecdotally, um, I had read your your new book abundantly well and finished it, I guess for the second time right before all of the uh the hysteria around covid um, so I felt so prepared at the beginning and and I also had been listening for uh quite some time to your blog talk show and had been uh, listening to you talk in general about antivirals and and what we can do to keep ourselves healthy in general. Um, so I, was, I, I have not been fearful of, um, of the disease from the very beginning, and I'd have to say, you know, watching your very generous uh, videos and courses, um, appreciated, and, um, and, and many of them I had already put in place, you know, and I felt reassured that, that um, you know, I've been listening all these years. So I just want to say thank you so much uh, for, for that. That and
2: thank you for helping me restore herbal medicine to its rightful places, people's medicine, because you're the people.
6: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah sorry. thank you. Uh, I, I have a couple of questions that are more, um, I guess, kind of technical as well. Um, I had heard, you know, over the years I've been um, working with St. John's Wort, St. John's Wort, and I was at a herbal talk, um, well, not recently, but, you know, about a year or so ago. And um, it was a, an herbalist who um, said had trained with you to some extent, although I don't know to what extent that was, um, and had warned of heart disease um, and people using heart, people with heart disease working with hypericum. She basically said, stay away. And I hadn't really seen that or really heard that, in, at least from, from what I, you know, the podcast and, and whatnot. Um, do you have any recommendations around around that or cautions of working with St. Saint, Saint John's Wort, Or is that one of like a capsule <laughs> caution more than, than like tincture form?
2: Well, that was my question. Did she specify what part of the plant, when it was harvested, how it was prepared, and what dose?
6: She she didn't. She just said in general. And, and I'd have to say it's she was. It was
2: a, it's folklore. Right. It's not herbal medicine.
6: Okay. Giving a lecture, like a weed walk, basically, and showing how to tincture. And in that, she didn't specifically say the Mm -hmm. heart disease or, or, you know, the caution around heart disease was specific to capsules. It was more
2: like a blanket warning. Um, I certainly have never heard it. As a matter of fact, I've heard quite the opposite. I know people who've taken and continue to take as much as a dropper full every hour for decades with no ill effect. Okay,
6: great. with with heart disease who have have I don't know if they have heart
2: disease or not my guess and it is just a guess is that what she's talking about or thinking about is that hypericum increases the liver's ability to get rid of drugs and chemicals and so perhaps what she was saying was shorthand People who have heart disease and are taking drugs to maintain themselves may have repercussions if they take Hypericum because it may cause them to clear their drugs faster.
6: That makes sense. Yeah.
2: But it's just a guess. I really do not know if that's what she was getting at. Okay.
6: Okay. That, and, again, you right. know,
2: what? Uh, when I've been able to follow up on any of that, it has pretty much been the capsules.
6: I, I was assuming that was the, the case, um, but, but if she's I describing to do... how to make the
2: tincture, it's confusing. Yeah,
6: yeah, right. It was in, it was literally during a a weed walk like, when she's showing us how to make the tincture.
2: Right, like, exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, exactly. Um, it, you know, one of the kind of amazing things that I did independently well Uh, was I admitted that after, you know, quite a few years of saying, oh, does this herb interact with this drug and do you have to watch out for that, I just threw all of that aside and said, you know, there are so few herb-drug interactions. And Mm -hmm. since it took me, you know, two full years to really complete Abundantly Well, although I'd been working on it for quite a long time, during those two years at my classes, I would give classes at conferences, and I would specifically ask people, Tell me about the herb drug interactions that you've seen. And I'm talking to herbalists, people who run clinics, people who see a lot of people, and nobody, nobody had seen herb drug interactions. Interesting. And that's primarily because these people are not using capsules.
7: That makes sense.
2: Right. Certainly there are drug drug interactions. And we can make an herb more and more and more drug-like. Yeah. A tincture is more drug-like than a tea. A tincture made with dried plant material is more drug-like than a tea. A tincture made with fresh plant material. A tincture made with high-proof alcohol is going to be more drug-like. And once we start okay. making our herbs as drug-like as possible, now we start to get drug-drug interactions. Yes. But I don't call them herb-drug interactions mm-hmm. because we have removed the soul from the herb, as it were.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Sure. Yeah, I'm, sure. All of my teachers have always told me that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, and that the more you reduce an herb to one compound, um, the less you'll get from it. And
6: I guess that dovetails into my my second question, somewhat related, although on a threat of, of reducing to drugs is is around vitamin C. Um, I, I've been listening to you for years, and, and I've heard and also read around your warnings around supplements um, and and the dangers around that, and just caution. I'm hearing a lot and seeing a lot of uh, vitamin C being very effective, um, in, and even being trialed in hospitals, I, intravenously. Um as a so i' you know part of me wonders, should I buy a bottle of vitamin C and then the other part of me you know could hear you in the background saying you know the dangers of supplements I'm curious you know if, if you what you might recommend for vitamin C I also recall you saying um something about vitamin C being very
2: fragile and um you can't it find vitamins. A, yeah. You can buy bottles labeled vitamin C, but there's no vitamin C in them. What's in them is ascorbic acid. Okay. And ascorbic acid is no more vitamin C than the first violin is the symphony orchestra. Okay. Vitamin C, like all vitamins, has many different factors that make it up. I like to ask people... About B vitamins, you know that there are many different factors in vitamin B, don't you?
6: I do. Yeah.
2: Right. That's no surprise to you. You know there's B12 and even leucotril B17. So you know that if we say B Mm -hmm. vitamins, that there's a lot of different parts of it. Yeah. When people take vitamin D supplements, they're taking D3, and that means they're not taking Mm D1 and D2. Right. Every vitamin is a collection of compounds. Vitamin C actually has about a 100 different compounds that create vitamin C. Hmm. Now, vitamin C is a pretty interesting acid, and it is an acid. And chemistry, all chemistry, runs on acids and alkalis, right? Positives and negatives. Mm -hmm. And most mammals' bodies use the acids, especially ascorbic acid, in their chemistry set of their body. But humans do not. The actual daily need of vitamin C for a healthy adult human is between 40 and 60 milligrams. So when you take an IV and you start pumping thousands of milligrams of ascorbic acid into the body, you are going to change body chemistry just as you would if you pumped any other drug in there. Right.
6: I mean, it's it's being used as a drug, and I guess that's where I was sort of wondering about bending, you know, the rules a little bit, because in this case, the supplement would be used like a drug. You know, I'm not saying use it daily.
2: Not bending a rule. There are seven medicines. We can use drugs. We need to understand they are drugs. So what you're saying is yeah. it's impossible for you to eat any natural source of vitamin C.
4: That was my question to
3: you, I guess. Like, how, how would you approach, you know, this?
2: Since I would go outside and eat a dandelion leaf or a dandelion I, yeah. flower or a handful of violet flowers or three garlic mustard leaves. All right. I could do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm looking at a a
6: backyard full of dandelions at the moment.
2: Right? Yeah. And because I'm not washing them, I'm not washing the vitamin C off. And because I'm eating it, as soon as I pick it, the vitamin C doesn't have a chance to dissipate. Okay. So when I say it's fragile, what I mean is that you pick those dandelions and put them in a nice plastic bag and put them in the refrigerator a couple of hours later, there's insignificant amount of vitamin C left. Hmm.
6: I mean, is that true for like fruits that we hear so much, like like oranges and you know, citrus that have?
2: Once the orange is cut, the vitamin C dissipates rapidly. Uh-huh. How long uh-huh. does it take the cut apple to turn brown?
6: <laughs> Pretty not not long.
2: That when it turns brown, there's no more vitamin C. Ah,
6: all right.
2: Because vitamin C prevents browning. When I worked in restaurants, one of the first things we would often do when we got started in the morning in the restaurant was there would be a sink, a big, deep sink, that was run full of cold water. And tablespoons of ascorbic acid were put in there, and any produce was tossed in there so that when we were ready to make the salads, the salads had had a pre-soak in ascorbic acid, and we could make them, and they could sit in the refrigerator for five hours and still look fresh.
0: Mm.
6: Right. Makes sense. So this would be, you know. So again,
2: the whole idea of the seven medicines and the six steps of healing is, if you have tried serenity medicine and story medicine and mind medicine and lifestyle medicine and alternative medicine and none of those have worked, then pharmaceutical medicine is your next choice. Problem yeah. is, a lot of people start at pharmaceutical medicine.
6: Agreed. Agreed.
2: And that's what you're suggesting. Again, it's not a rule. It's a way to be abundantly well. And if we keep choosing right. to take synthesized, created products, we are not only not being abundantly well physically, we're not being abundantly well mentally. Yeah. I once attended a class taught by Ryan Drum. And when he came in, we were all sitting in chairs, and he looked at us and he said, I'm sorry, I can't teach people sitting in chairs because your entire body is in alarm because it knows if the chair disappeared, you'd be on the floor. So fold up the chairs and sit on the floor, and you can be at ease, and you can really hear what I'm going to say. And it's the same thing. You know, it may not be conscious, but so long as you are dependent on having to go to the marketplace and buy something for your health, you can't be at ease. Well,
6: I agree, 100% agreed. It was more like in the case, like in preparation in case something were to happen and, and utilizing all these other medicines, which I have
2: done. have a way like to do it. intravenous vitamin ascorbic acid?
6: No, but I could purchase, uh, you know, some that's of the... It's not the same. I, I get it. It's not the same. I, I, I totally get it. It's not the Being same. Being oral is yeah. not
2: the same as an IV. Right. There are
6: some, like, kind of holistic physicians out there, you know, promoting uh, vitamin C to, uh, orally for um, for COVID, you know, positive cases. So, just curious if that would be a route you would recommend as well. Sounds like not so much.
2: If bone set wasn't helpful, if echinacea wasn't helpful, if marshmallow wasn't helpful, if mullein wasn't helpful, if right. all the herbs in my free course aren't helpful, then maybe I'd consider it.
6: Yeah, and I have to say I uh, I got all those, and I also sent packages to, to my family, you know, as well for, for those. And, and Catskill Mountain Herbs, even though, um, you know, some of the other larger uh, herbal companies have, um, had, you know, more delayed services and, and back orders and whatnot, and um, Catskill Mountain had everything and, and shipped right away. I don't know about now, but that was that was a few weeks ago when after I took your course. Yes,
2: yeah, so it's quite it's quite off. interesting how many herbalists last year when they were making tinctures were really, um, you know, got the feeling and saw from what was out there that they needed to make a lot of the tinctures that we're needing right now.
6: Amazing,
2: yeah.
6: amazing, great, and and I. I'll, I'll end with this because I don't want to take up uh, other other folks' time. Um, but I really appreciate from a from a humanity perspective that you are remaining open, safe, safe distance. You know, being mindful of, of the the parameters that we're working under, but you haven't closed your, your in person workshops down. And that is, while I don't live quite near you, um, it just it feels great to, you, you remain open open to
2: to all of us where so much is shutting down. I appreciate that as well. You are welcome. I figured I was at least as important to your health as the liquor store. (laughs) (laughs)
6: Sure, yes.
2: (laughs) And when I heard the liquor stores were open, I said, fine, I'm staying open. Absolutely.
6: You think you're in liquor?
2: (laughs) Exactly. I'm at least as important to your health as that, and I would say more so. And the truth of the matter is, And especially, you know, it's coming up over and over again tonight. In order to really be with the plants, you need to be with the plants. You need to smell them and see them and taste them, talking about them, virtual stuff. It's beautiful. It's great. But nothing is ever going to take the place of the hands-on. Agreed. Agreed.
6: Thank you so much again.
2: You are welcome. Mm Green blessings. Thanks Thanks for your call.
6: Green blessings to you too. Thanks.
0: Bye. Next caller is from nine one four. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi, Susan. This is
3: Natalie. (laughs) Um, I just discovered you, and I'm so so excited to continue learning from you. And I appreciate everything you're doing.
2: Thank you, Natalie.
3: Um, So my question tonight, um, my dad has a a strange thing on his hand where kind of like the muscles Mm -hmm. all seem to be tightening up.
2: How old is your dad? How old is your dad?
3: Yeah, I don't know exactly. 65, around that age. Uh
2: Can he speak? Sorry? Does he speak? Yes. Then he needs to call me. I do not do secondhand (laughs) consultations. Oh. You can't call me for somebody else. You can only call me for you.
3: Oh, I didn't
2: know that. I'm the, uh, you know, the exception would be someone who's too young to speak oh. or someone who is in a coma or is in some other way incapable of actually talking to me. But if your dad is of a reasonable age, 65 is a pretty reasonable age, and he still speaks, then he needs to call me. And if he doesn't want to call me, he's not interested enough to do it. You're wasting your time.
3: Right. Okay. I apologize. I didn't realize. I I was just going to double-check a remedy that I had researched on my own, but never mind.
2: Okay. Green Blessings. Thanks for your call. The next caller is from
0: 951. hello 951
5: hi Hi. 951 hi Susan this is um Wendy Hammerstrom you interviewed me a couple years ago about a book I wrote called Circles of Healing and I live in I live in Fallbrook California and I'm friends with Cassie Crabb uh, who lives nearby Uh, and um, I'm standing in the middle of a Garden a borage garden, uh-huh, huh, surrounded by borage plants in my garden, but the reason I'm calling is I was bitten by a dog uh, a month ago in oh, the I'm- neck for that and just, just missed the carotid artery Holy. and um and i I know, and I'm the ultimate dog lover, right <laughs> um, but i so I'm recovering from that wound, and then about ten years. 10 days, can you hear me? I feel like I'm cutting out. I can hear you quite well. Okay. 10 days ago, I started getting this um, itch in my deep in my chest and occasional cough. And I, I don't know if it's related. I don't know if it's emotional, but I, it might be allergies. I'm thinking it might be allergies. And I just wondered if you had any uh, suggestions if it is, in fact, allergies. Okay, so a very, very interesting thing has just happened.
2: And I like to point it out because I think it's important for all of us. You started out by telling me what was going on with you. Mhm. You described your symptoms, and then you made uh-huh. a
0: diagnosis
2: and you decided we were going to treat the diagnosis.
5: And you uh-huh. disappeared. I disappeared?
2: Yes. Instead of it being you who had symptoms, it was a diagnosis that we needed to
5: treat. Uh-huh. Where's you? Gotcha.
2: You're gone. Gotcha.
5: Yeah. Right? Okay. So this is right. why I don't do
2: or encourage people to do very much diagnosis.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: I would rather stay with symptoms. Okay. Symptoms are evocative. Gotcha. A diagnosis is designed to be non-evocative. So your actual symptoms evoke and display and symbolize for you things that you need to pay attention to so that you can mm-hmm. make those things your allies. When we make a diagnosis, we have taken the first step toward war, and we are now allowed to decimate the enemy. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. All right. So rather yep. than get rid of allergies, what we want to do is to support and nourish you. Okay, sounds good. A very different thing, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So this is, this is part of the wise woman approach, right? The scientific tradition loves to treat the diagnosis. And thus the person right. does not have to be paid attention to. Right. And we can have protocols because the protocol is not about the person. It's about the disease. Right. It's about the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. But what I want to do with you is to have what happens be about you. Because okay. to me, that's how we become whole, more whole. And that's how we become more abundantly well. So you were bitten in the neck by a dog. Right. That is shocking and terrifying. Yes. Yeah. What have you done about that shock and terror?
5: Flower remedies. Um, flower, flower remedies. Flower.
2: I'm so sorry yeah. to hear that.
5: <laughs> Why?
2: Every animal I've ever given a rescue remedy to has died instantly. Really? Yeah.
5: Wow. Okay, well, these are these are from like the Flower Essence Society. They're like so trauma. What does, what does yeah. the essence mean?
2: suppose that I sat in a pail of water, naked, with my butt in the water overnight, with the full moon, and then bottled that as worldly peace. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Okay, it's my well,
5: essence. I guess. Okay, that's what flower essences are. Flower is the sex organs of the plant. Uh Uh-huh. You're
2: soaking the sex organs in water and telling me it's for world peace? Come on. Flower essences are part of mind medicine, and I prefer a more direct approach to mind medicine. Okay. Again, I don't like to support the marketplace. I failed Consumerism 101. If I have to buy it, I'm probably not going to use it.
5: Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that about about you. I mean, I didn't know that was <laughs> what you thought about flower essences.
2: Yeah, I have given you know several lectures over the past 25 years at large herbal conferences saying... You know, flower essences have nothing to do with being an herbalist.
5: Uh Uh-huh. Interesting.
2: Because they have nothing to do with herbs. And they are people's projections. A red flower is not something that's passionate. That's our projection on it. Right.
5: Yeah. So the whole thing
2: about flower essences is total projection. And again, mind medicine, it's great. They have a whole, you know, chapter Mm -hmm. in Abundantly Well on Mind Medicine. And they actually tell you how to make your own, you know, homeopathic remedy. So got us started on this whole thing about the essence. And that the essence was the only true thing because it never changed. Uh And thus we have the whole mechanistic world that we live in where what is true and good is that which does not change. Right. And that doesn't work for me, especially not as a woman, because I am true and I am good and I change.
5: Uh Uh-huh.
2: So I don't even like to use the word essence. Okay. Because by definition, it is unchanging.
5: Uh Uh-huh. Interesting.
2: Yeah. 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 So I see and have always seen being attacked and bitten by an animal as an initiation. (laughs) An eight-year-old boy of my acquaintance was running around with a bunch of other kids and, quote, scratched himself. And it wasn't until an hour later that he noticed that his leg was grossly swollen. And he went to his mom. And they, they realized together that he had been bitten by a snake. Ah. And they were at a party, a wedding, something. There were a lot of other people there. And there was a man who kind of overheard what was going on, and he said, I'm calling the ambulance. You're going to the hospital right now. And this young boy's mom did not want to take him to the hospital. And they actually had to, like, sneak out the back way Uh and, you know, deal with it at home. And they called me a couple of days later and told me what was going on, and I said, all right, this is an initiation into the Snake Clan. And when Uh he feels healed and strong enough, he needs to go and spend the night alone outside and accept his initiation as a member of the Snake Clan. The worldview that we are presented asks us, especially as women, to see ourselves as victims.
5: Uh
2: The worldview of the wise woman tradition is a worldview of choice, not victim. So I'm not saying you chose to be bitten, but I'm saying you don't have to choose to be the victim of it. And I want to thank Uh Jean Houston for this, because I was bitten by a dog when I was quite young. I wasn't yet walking. Uh-huh. The dog bit my head. I had 32 stitches. Right. Narrowly yes. avoided my eye socket, right. right from my eyebrow, right on back. And
5: uh-huh.
2: dogs yeah. weren't given rabies shots then, so I had to have a series of rabies shots. So the whole thing was incredibly traumatic. As a matter of fact, it was and continues to be my favorite victim story. I have yet to have a person who does not go, aww, and feel sorry for me. That little baby Uh Susan got bit by a dog and then had to have rabies shots on top of it. Aww. So I was telling this story to somebody at the um, apprenticeship I did with Jean Houston, which extended over three years. And as Jean was walking by, she stopped, took a step back, and stood next to me and, and looked at me and said, did I ever tell you how annoyed I am by that victim story? Now, I had not seen it as a victim story up until then, but of course, as soon as she said that, I realized it was. And she looked at me, and she said, now, your goddess is Artemis, the woman who runs with the wolves, the woman who runs with the hounds and the dogs. When you were but a babe, Artemis sent her hound to claim you as one of hers. Try that on for size, and off she walked.
7: Wow.
2: I'm reading a book to my granddaughter, and one of the chapters is called Pandora's Box. And it's not the story of Pandora. It's something else that's going on in this novel that we're reading. But I asked her if she knew about Pandora's Box, and she said, yeah, yeah, Pandora was like this girl, and she was given a box, and she wasn't supposed to open it, but opened it, and all these bad things came out. Uh And I said, yeah, mm -hmm. that's a pretty European telling of the tale, isn't it? Right, weak woman, weak girl is given a gift, which is half a gift because she's not allowed to open it. Now, what kind of gift is that, huh? Here's a gift for you, don't open it. (laughs) And then she's so weak that she opens it and she's punished by all these bad things coming out. Mm -hmm. I said, now here's a similar story, but from a different place. It's from India. And I'm not going to tell you the whole story. It's a wonderful story. I love to tell the whole thing because it has a lot of repeated elements, which we always love in stories. But very, very simply, the story is that the great goddess made everything on earth, everything in the water and everything in the air. And doing all this work exhausted her, and so she went to sleep. And mm-hmm. in the water and the air and the earth, things were very good indeed, and everything thrived. And so there were more and more babies, and things got crowded and crowded and crowded and crowded. And crowded. And finally, in one great voice, and you can tell I've left out the middle of the story. Finally, in one great voice, everything said, goddess, goddess mother, you've got to come and help us. You know, we're just too crowded. And they had, of course, been pleading with her all this while, and she'd been, you know, just going deeper and deeper to sleep. So this time she finally gets up, chooses her most beautiful ceremonial robe, the one with the many pockets, goes into her pharmacy and chooses the very things that her children will need. And she then goes to the sky and the earth and the water and gives her gifts of death, disease, accident, and injury. And the crowding is at an end. Huh. So, same story, right? But what a different view of the woman we have. Right. She made a choice. So, how okay. are you going to accept your initiation? You characterized yourself as being totally into dogs. Mm hmm. Totally. And they've chosen you <laughs> in a rather uh, vampiric way. How are you going to say yes? How are you going to respond? How are you going to let them know you understand? More than I
5: already do have?
2: <laughs> yes, I mean, more. I... <laughs> that's right. No, this is a this is a much more expansive, deeper, scarier level than you've ever allowed yourself to go to.
5: Yes. That's for sure. Um well I don't know. I'll have to think about that. Yes, think about that, but even
2: more so dream about it. Okay. And even more so, be open to it. Go out with nothing in mind and allow images and thoughts and desires to come up in you. Okay. And especially when you feel the wound, when you feel it healing, when you're doing anything about it, you know, ask yourself, how how am I allied? How does this help me? How does this add to me? Okay. And then we can also deal with the other thing that you're feeling, which is some discomfort in your chest, a little itchiness in your chest. Yeah. Like it, in your lungs or on the skin of your chest?
5: Inside, deep inside.
2: Deep inside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you feel that, um, do you choose comfrey infusion to like drink the what? next day? Do you drink nourishing herbal infusions? Yes, I have been. Well, wonderful. Strongly. So what I'm saying is the next the next day after you feel that um to mm-hmm. drink comfrey infusion. Comfrey, okay. Right because comfrey leaf is a tremendous ally to the lungs. Uh-huh. Okay. It's in fact good for all the mucous surfaces of the
5: body. Okay. Too bad it's not borage. (laughs) I got so much of that. Well,
2: you know, there are herbalists who have told me to my face that I'm going to kill people by telling them to drink comfrey, leaves. It's not true. Obviously, after all of these decades, it certainly isn't true. Um, Uh But I do understand that comfrey root contains pyrolyzodine. And Mm pyrolyzodine is a very difficult alkaloid, and it can do damage to the liver, and borage is loaded with pyrolyzodine in the leaf as well as the root. Okay. So I don't use borage at all, except for those occasional pretty blue flowers in my salads. Okay.
5: Pumphrey leaves, you say.
2: When you say you're drinking nourishing herbal infusions, what are you drinking?
5: Well, I like I'll I'll put a nettle tea bag in, in uh, and that's pie. not an infusion. But even if it sits for like an hour or two? I figured it was almost an I'm infusion. I'm gonna
2: improve my diet by eating a slice of carrot.
5: Yeah. What do you think? All right.
2: Will that improve my diet?
5: Yeah. Does a slice Probably of not. carrot improve my diet? Probably not. How come?
2: Because it's just one little thing. <laughs> it's just one little tea bag. Come on, an infusion is one ounce by weight of herb. That's about 30 tea bags. Ah, all right. An infusion okay, is one wait. ounce by weight of dried herb infused in one quart of boiling water for a minimum of four hours. Okay. You can let a teabag sit for as long as you want, but you'll only be able to get what's in that tiny amount of herb. Okay. That's why an infusion uses one ounce of herb, which when fresh is a quarter pound of fresh herb. So it's a really huge amount of herb that we're getting in our infusions. I rotate through five nourishing herbal infusions. Nettle infusion, oat straw infusion, linden infusion, red clover infusion, and comfrey leaf infusion. So when I ask you your infusions, what I'm asking in shorthand is, are you weighing out one ounce of herb, putting it in a quart jar, filling it to the top of the boiling water, screwing a tight lid on it, letting it sit overnight, and rotating through those five herbs? Okay. That's what it means to drink very infusions. So, no, you haven't been. Okay. I think that you will find your healing improved and the distress that you're feeling in your chest relieved once you start actually making infusions and drinking them on a daily basis. Apprentices are not allowed to drink anything else, not even water. Okay. Okay.
5: So you said com- comfrey, nettle, where were the other three?
2: Comfrey, nettle, linden, mm-hmm. red clover, uh-huh. oat straw, one uh-huh. at a time. Not mixed, okay. but one at and a time.
5: And you're saying fresh herbs?
2: No, I'm saying dried, dried herb.
5: Dried, okay.
2: One ounce by weight of dried herb.
5: Okay, I can do that.
2: Good, and what I'm saying is that it- one ounce of Dried herb is the equivalent of four ounces of fresh herb. So an ounce of dried okay. herb is the equivalent of a quarter pound of fresh herb. Okay. So I'm not saying to use fresh herb. I'm saying to use dried herb, but I'm giving you an equivalent so you can have an idea of how little herb you've been using.
5: Okay. Okay.
0: Certainly I, made I, all I the difference in my herbalism that.
2: when I went from teas to infusions, and I thank you, Juliette de Berflay Levy, for turning me on to um, needing to eat more than a slice of carrot. Okay,
5: all right. Thank you. I will. I will try that.
2: Thank you. Great question. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Green blessings.
5: Yeah. You, you too. Bye.
2: Okay, that's about our first hour. Let's see how many people we can fit into our last half hour here before we get to learn more about gardening and um, childbearing and childhood from our guest.
0: Yes, yes. And, you know, Susan, I have my own personal step one, which is whatever is going on in Catherine's life, am I taking nourishing herbal infusions? Yes, I'm drinking them, but not enough. <laughs> as long as I do step one, I'm <laughs> doing good. So, uh, yeah. Thanks
2: for checking yeah. in, it's so a little it confusing to lot. me to hear it called step one because, of course, I have worked for many, many years with yes. the six steps of healing, and that would be um, that would be step three: nourish and tonify.
0: Right. That was my joke for you because you know you're on
2: step one. Oh, but you know what, yeah, Catherine? My my I'm autistic, and so autistic people don't get jokes.
0: Oh, I'm so sorry. Okay, yeah, I get that. Don't make
2: jokes because either I just will not get it at all or I will get offended.
0: Oh, okay. My personal first go-to, the personal first thing I do in my life, my first go-to is always listen to your advice about the nourishing herbal infusions. Before I worry about anything else, if I'm taking my nourishing herbal infusions, I'm okay. We're all good.
2: Usually usually, it it provides, you know, such dramatic nourishment to all of the systems of the body that even when we're facing challenges like accident, injury, disease, right, thank you gifts of the goddess Mm -hmm. there, right, that we can make our way through dealing with those things um, with more abundant wellness because of the background of those nourishing herbal infusions. So thank you for reminding us of that. We appreciate it.
0: Yes, I love to share my experience as someone who just admires your work, does my best to follow your advice, and I've applied it for a while. And if we're drinking our Nourishing Herbal Infusions, you'll appreciate doing it. Let me put it like that.
2: So, um, thank we you go. For touching <laughs> on that
0: again for everyone. <laughs> as a humble listener, I want to reflect that this is something, if you're brave enough to just... Give it a shot. You'll be happy. Um, we do have a lot of callers, and it looks like Nicole has uh, dialed in, ready for her interview later as well. Good. Um, and if you, yeah, if you want me to. Any questions we can hour, answer I in the next half hour? Seven, there we go. Seven seven five. Hello. Thank you so much for taking my, my call. Uh, can go you ahead. hear me?
2: Yes. Go okay, ahead. Great.
7: Okay, I have a question about, um, um, I watched your YouTube videos on cooked versus raw, which was very helpful. Um, But I have a question uh, about, you know, uh, chickweed or or mallow mallow leaves from my garden. Um, If I don't cook them, if I just pop them in a salad, am I still getting the nutrients from them?
2: No. Okay. No nutrition is available from raw plants. And what, So what is the benefit
7: of eating a salad from your garden then, just like a regular salad, where you soil just
2: soil bacteria. Brush. Oh, okay. Right. So long as you don't not. wash it, and I'm not saying it has to be dirty or have soil on it. But if it's unwashed, soil bacteria on it, and that is the class of bacteria that is most noticeably missing from the modern gut.
0: Oh, okay, very nice. Thank you. I, that's what I, I had an inkling
7: that you would say that, so that's, that's, uh, that's good to hear.
2: Um, All right. Okay. Thank you Thanks for your good night. Dream Bye. blessings.
0: All right. The next caller is 561. Hi, Susan. Hi. Okay.
8: Thank you for taking my call. Can you hear me okay? I sure can. Great. Um, I live in South Florida, and I am trying to find some plants that I can ally with down here um, that grow very well. And I was gifted with a plant um, that I believe to be Indian borage or Mexican mint. I think the botanical name is Plectranthus amboinicus. Um, And I think it's in the lamaceae family. Um, And I just was wondering, I made a vinegar with it, um, with the leaves. um, And I'm just wondering if that's a good thing to do with it. Um, I heard you could chew on the leaves or brew a tea from the leaves. um, And that it can be good for your respiratory system um, and also your immune system. So I just was wondering if those are good things to do with that. Um, and if it is it all related to the Pelly other boring that milk. you were talking about? It does, yes. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. There are several classes of compounds found in plants that are poisons. Mm-hmm. Alkaloids are poisons. Alkaloids have a name that ends with I-N or I-N-E, and they're named for the plant they're first found in. So the alkaloid in coffee is? Caffeine. Correct. And the alkaloid in tobacco, whose botanical name is nicotiana, is?
8: Nicotine.
2: Nicotine. There you go. Lots and lots of medicinal plants have alkaloids in them. Glycosides are killer sugars. Glyco is sugar. All right. Herbicide, pesticide, fratricide, aside means to kill. So they're killer sugars. And interestingly enough, in small amounts in plants, they have a pretty tonic effect on human beings, uh, but they can accumulate, or in a very large dose, they can be quite problematic. The glycosides, um, glycoside poisons usually kill you, and there's just n- no real cure. The poison in um, water hemlock is glycoside. Glycosides mm-hmm. are also, uh, can uh, affect you so strongly that... Um, They're classified by what they do, so cyanogenic glycosides, which make you stop breathing, cardiac glycosides, which make your heart stop beating, and so on. Mm -hmm. Volatile oils, organic compounds, esters, and so forth, that are used by plants as insecticides. Plants produce those strong smells in order to kill insects. Mhm, so sure we can we can take them in, right. Does it mean that they will nourish us? No mhm they're poisons, So when you ask if it's a good thing to do, I don't exactly know what to say. It's not bad, mm-hmm. but it's not nettle infusion,
0: right.
8: Would it be kind of comparable oh. to making like a, like a rosemary vinegar or a, you know, like oregano vinegar? Yes,
2: except I think that the plant you're talking about is far more aromatic than even rosemary. hmm My recollection it of is that plant pretty is that strong. tasting it was like drinking a bottle of perfume.
8: Yeah, it is very, it has a very strong smell.
2: So there's lots and lots of potential poison in it. Mm-hmm. Okay. The mint family, the Lamiaceae family, um, runs from plants that are pretty benign, like basil, which has hardly any volatile oil, you know?
5: Mm-hmm.
2: You make a basil pesto, and in a few months, it hardly even smells like basil, right? Mm-hmm. Very difficult to dry basil and have it have any flavor to plants that are outright psychoactive and really cause hallucinations. So the mint family has an enormous potential. And the greater the concentration of volatile oils in the mint family plant, the stronger and more drug-like the effects of it will be on you.
8: Okay. Okay. Thank you so much susan for answering my question and thank you for all that you do and all the knowledge that you share so freely with us i really really appreciate it
2: you are welcome and there's lots of wonderful plants down there in in southern florida
8: i'll just have to keep looking
2: keep looking yes indeed because there are just so many and they're so marvelous First time I was out wow. in that area, I hired a botanist to take me out for a walk. He turned out to have only one leg, and he went out with, you know, one pants leg pinned. He didn't even have a, a prosthesis and crutches. And you can imagine how agile he was, swinging himself over big fallen logs that I had to clamber over. And he just laughed at me the whole day long, saying, Boy, that second leg really gets you in trouble, doesn't it? <laughs> 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 Uh, so that was my introduction to the plants of, of southern Florida. At the end of the day, he looked at me and he said, you know, you've seen more orchids than today than most people see in their lifetime. Pause. Uh-huh. Too bad none of them were in bloom. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, what we saw were these white, rooty things, right? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Maybe a green leaf here or there, but not much. Right. <laughs> Thanks for your call. Green blessings. Good night.
8: Free and blessing, Susan. Thank you.
0: The <laughs> next call is coming from
7: 347.
2: Hello. Hello,
7: 347. Come in. Oh, hi. Thanks for having me,
2: Michael. Yeah, hi. good. Tell us what's up. I,
7: um, I wanted to ask about, um. I don't think I have, I don't. No, if I have fibroids, but I I did have fibroids uh, like a year or two ago, uh-huh. and I and I had got surgery to remove it. But um, I've had heavy bleeding since then. But I've I've always had heavy bleeding since I was a teenager,
1: mm-hmm. and mm-hmm.
7: I'm and I'm just about having,
1: and,
7: <laughs> and I'm just trying to figure out herbs that um, can help me with hormonal issues or heavy bleeding or.
2: It's, well, usually heavy bleeding is not a hormonal issue. Usually heavy oh. bleeding is a dietary issue. When was the last time you ate liver?
7: I don't eat liver.
2: Mm-hmm. There's a problem right there. When was the last time you ate red meat?
7: eat red meat, but I, I, real, I was reading something about, because, you know, fibroids, I guess it's a catch-22, because fibroids, not that I have it, but, Fibroids can cause anemia, and then I heard something, I was reading something about, but heavy bleeding has something to do with low iron.
2: That's what I'm getting at. What? Exactly what I'm getting at. But, but Here's isn't the, the deal. Bleeding the also less causing iron the in iron? your blood, the easier it is for you to bleed. The more you bleed, the less iron there is in your blood. It is an extremely rare woman between the ages of 15 and 50 who is not deficient in iron. Almost all menstruating women are deficient in iron because the menstruation itself, even if it is light, loses you enough iron to be deficient. Should you, you know be deficient enough that now your bleeding is increased, you're going to lose more iron, and it only takes a few months for this to actually get to the point of hemorrhage and emergency hysterectomy in some cases. So So, it's critically important for women who bleed heavily to see to it that they get good quality iron, and liver is the very best way to do that.
7: Yeah, I know. Limited organic
2: liver nasty. is also the least expensive organic m- meat out there. And buying organically, of course, supports small farms and supports organic vegetables.
7: Yeah, I, I don't I, – I, I, I had that as a kid, and it was like, no, <laughs> I don't think I can eat liver. But I bought um, – like plant, like the, you know, like the liquid, you could, the the iron, you could liquid iron. It's
2: about and one I, what, thousandth as effective as liver.
7: You said what happened?
2: It's about one thousandth as effective. In other words, you would have to drink 10 bottles of that a day to get the same amount of iron that you would get by one serving of liver. I
7: know. How often do you think people should eat liver? Like with this
2: issue. Your body will tell you.
7: I don't know. I haven't had to eat deliver, but I started eating like steak and maybe some lamb or something like that. I got like a. Certainly, beef.
2: more red meat can also get more heme into your body, which can carry more iron to your cells. Right.
7: I, um, I know it's, it's iron in like molasses. I was trying to just find stuff that has natural iron in it. Um, yeah,
2: that's a good beach. idea. Yeah. Most uh, the truth of the matter is that most people, after a day or two of drinking molasses, stop drinking it.
7: I've been drinking. Mm-hmm. I put it in my tea. I make pancakes. Good for
2: way. you. All right. I was going to say you might be the exception to that.
7: I doctor it up. <laughs> and it has to be black
2: molasses, right? Yeah, blackstrap, black, strap, black, strap, black right. strap, it has to be black. that really heavy. And most people say, oh, the first day, it's, they like it, and the second day, it's like, oh, and the third day, it's like, eh, I can't handle it anymore. Because it is it's really strong tasting.
7: <sighs> okay, I, so you're just saying, and you think it's like iron, not necessarily a hormone imbalance.
2: I don't think it has anything to do with hormones.
7: But fibroids have something to do with hormones. Uh-uh. Really? <laughs> This is shocking. I thought it had, I mean, like with estrogen, like too much estrogen. Uh-uh. Oh, so you were saying fibroids is linked to iron as well?
2: Fibroids are very oh. much linked to that. Fibroids are about as common as freckles. You're right.
7: And it's sad. It's very sad, though.
2: Right? That, and we're we're not, like, going after people and cutting the freckles off their faces.
7: <laughs> I know it's crazy. If the fibroid
2: is pressing on some other organ and causing pain, I certainly understand dealing with it. If the fibroid is causing hemorrhage and very heavy bleeding, I certainly understand dealing with it. But other than that, I say leave it alone. Yeah, I know.
7: I was just shocked because. Other people I know who had this my uh what I think I had a myomectomy. Not I didn't have a hysterectomy, I had a myomectomy. They they had light bleeding, like they were their their administration and stuff is still light. Mine's it didn't change. It almost it's less no, but that was like diaper like you need a diaper to wear a diaper, like the amount of blood I used to bleed when I had fibroids. But even though I had the surgery, I realized it's still heavy bleeding and it's like
2: well, I lived with a woman who used two tampons and two pads and still left a trail of blood to the bathroom. I I, I understand. Yeah, I I, I yeah, know I've that been, well. Me, I've been there. <laughs> I, you know, I have seen. You know, Please. I've always been really stingy bleeder. It's like oh, getting a drop of blood out of me is like, urgh, you know, getting it out of a stone. But I have lived with women who just like, were really really bleed. And one of the things that she found that was really effective for her, especially mm-hmm. in the week before her period, was no raw food of any kind.
7: Yeah, like because I was listening to you when the girl asked about salads. So, um, um, I was—I think the lady was on Doctor I. So they have this stuff that pe- they say people could take. It's called DEM, which is like uh, cruciferous vegetables, I guess, in like tablet form or something like that. But it's like
2: did you hear broccoli. me say that if you have to buy it, I'm against it.
7: Yeah, no, no, no. I heard what you said, but the lady I was on, Dr. Oz, was saying that you shouldn't eat.
2: They're giving it away for raw. free?
7: No, no. That not. you shouldn't eat she raw.
2: No, you should not eat raw. No,
7: no. Like broccoli. She was saying because it can, it's something like you should lightly cook broccoli or at least cook it.
2: You should cook for an hour. I
7: don't know about an hour. But okay, okay. Yeah, she said don't eat broccoli raw. So I was like, when the person was saying something like Anything
2: in the cabbage family eaten raw is a drag on the thyroid.
7: I okay, that's what they were saying. That's what they were saying, something like that.
2: So I was just like, oh, I hope. I was like, I wonder what she puts in her salad.
7: <laughs> you know what you were telling her. Uh, we only like, make
2: green salads here. We only use leaves and we use leaves of wild plants and of course flowers.
7: Oh, okay. I was just like, I was saying to myself, oh, she don't put broccoli in there.
2: <laughs> no, not broccoli or cucumber tomato or pepper. Any of, and no vegetable. It's a, it's a green salad.
7: Oh. Okay, okay. So you think cucumbers should be cooked too?
2: Remember that there are five ways to break the cell wall. Apply heat, freeze, dehydrate, ferment, or soak in oil. So if I want to eat cucumbers, I'm likely to make pacha, which means I'll cut them up, right, cut up tomatoes, Mm -hmm. add some salt, add some oil, and let it marinate overnight.
7: Oh,
2: okay. Now it's good. Oh.
7: Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. I'm gonna um check into this whole thing with the iron and um you was I didn't know iron low iron cause let
2: You know, let yellow dock tincture taken in small amounts also helps activate any iron stores in your body so that they can move into the blood. Yellow dock. Yellow dock tincture. Don't take too much. Just a little bit. All right, well, thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Please blessings. Good night. Bye.
0: We have 10 minutes before um, Nicole Moore will be joining us. And the next caller is 949.
3: Oh. Hi. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello. Um, I'm calling you because I have, well, the first caller I heard on the phone, she had a chest issue too, but I've never had allergy problems or asthma, but asthma does run in my family. And I moved from Southern California to Oregon a couple years ago. So this is actually my third spring here. Well, when this whole COVID thing started happening, I had my first real panic attack and it started from what I think was a histamine response in my chest. And every, it was so scary to me that it happened a few times after when I feel it come on, it, it really freaks me out. And my doctor had given me some hydroxyzine. He said they're you know, not addictive and they're going to help me with the Panic attacks is what he called it. He said it's a it's a symptom of having hypothyroidism. Well, I've had hypothyroidism forever, and I've never had any panic attacks whatsoever. What scared me is that I couldn't, I felt like I was going to, my heart was going to implode. Like I felt like I couldn't breathe, and it starts with this weird, cool, burning sensation across my skin. That's how I know it's starting. And a friend of mine in medical school said she thinks it's a histamine response to something. Sort of allergen, and that um, that's what triggered the panic attack. But my doctor disagreed, and I feel like she's more accurate than he is. And I just wanted your opinion about what you would do. I've been drinking comfrey leaf um, today. I heard you mentioning that for lungs.
2: Yay, comfrey, huh? Yeah, um,
3: and I took some usnea tincture today because I thought maybe that would help too, since it's. In my respiratory, upper respiratory area. Um, but I don't want to take those pills. I would rather Thank use. You. I'm,
2: not sh- I'm not sure. It, I'm not sure it really has anything to do with your respiration. Okay. I think the respiration is being depressed because of the nervous
5: system hmm
3: And I was drinking a lot of oat straw after all
5: this. Yeah, happened. So I was yeah, that,
3: about that sounds I was like, oh my nervous system's frazzled.
2: Right. Your nervous system sounds very frazzled to me. And mm-hmm. um there are two remedies that I would keep in my pocket if I were having panic attacks. Or if I had even had a panic attack. Mm-hmm. I would keep a bottle of a motherwort tincture. I would keep a small bottle, a half-ounce bottle. And I would keep a small bottle of osha root tincture. Okay. And I often say to people, since a heart attack and a panic attack feel exactly the same.
3: Yes, I literally called the ambulance. I called the police because my husband was at home. I thought I was going to die. with my kid's home.
2: Yes. So the way to determine which it is is to take some motherwort tincture. If, okay. if it's a panic attack, it will usually stop within a minute. If okay. it's a heart attack, it won't stop, but you won't have hurt yourself by taking motherwort, which is good for the heart. Okay.
3: How long does it usually take to kick in if you take the motherwort? Like how long would I give it before I decide, okay, that's it's a heart attack. Maybe I should take the OSHA,
2: tincture. OSHA is not for a heart attack.
3: Oh, okay. Sorry. I just assumed I would take the other one.
2: So I would give it a minute or two, very quickly. Okay. It happens very, very quickly. OSHA prevents the cells from absorbing histamine. So if what's going on is an overproduction of histamine or an overtaking up of histamine, three to five drops of OSHA can stop that very, very quickly. And that's usually within five to ten seconds.
3: So it's like if I felt that feeling across my chest and I right away took the OSHA tincture, that feeling should go away right away then?
2: Correct, if it's a histamine okay. response.
3: Because it's so crazy that out of nowhere, my heart, I mean, literally, I've had to shut off any kind of negativity. (laughs) My doctor said he feels like I've struck a raw nerve and that it's causing these panic attacks. And I've just never experienced anything like this. It was very scary to think that I could die. Like, I was literally like, die, and who's going to take care of my kids? You know, it's just so scary. But he reassured me. He's like, you're not going to die. It's not a heart attack a panic attack because he listened to my heart but when he listened to my heart I wasn't having that experience so I felt like how do you really know (laughs) you know how do you know if it's not a heart I don't know he said your heart sounds great it's not a heart attack
2: a heart heart attack damages the heart muscle and thereafter we can hear it
3: oh so well no like I was telling him I was thinking I was going to have a heart attack, and that's why my heart started pounding so fast. And he said, no, it's, it's a panic attack.
2: Panic but attack. he didn't
3: believe it was triggered by the histamine response. But I'll notice I'll, I'm just doing things like I always do. I'll go for a walk with my kids, and, you know, we'll go through a field or something. I come home, I'm all fine, and then two hours later, the next thing you know, I feel that feeling, and then I get scared. Then I start to panic because I get scared, like it's going to get worse. My husband's not home. What am I going to do? So now, well, I know now I you, have I, you have two
2: allies. You have motherwort yeah, in and I
3: actually bought some motherwort, uh, and I was going to ask you one question about it, though, because I do have the hypothyroidism. It was saying something like motherwort can be conflicting with that because
2: it, it blocks you're the You Are intending to take motherwort on a daily basis? you having panic attacks you know, on a daily and basis? And
3: that's what I think mean you would say, that it's okay, as long as I only take it when I need it. There you go. Cool. Cool. Awesome. You are awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate you.
2: <laughs>
3: and I trust you, which is good. So I don't trust a lot of people, but I trust you. I so. hear you.
2: Thank you, Thank you so you. much. I am honored. Green blessings. I think we can fit in one more question before Nicole. Okay.
0: 212. Hi.
2: Hey, two one two down there in the big city. Hi.
9: Hi, this is Tatiana. Hi, I'm Tatiana. My, um, uh I wonder if you can help me with um the story of getting pains. I am taking the the herb, the tinctures motherworth and hawthorn. And um when I saw the doctor last time, she said uh, she could give me nitroglycerin and a beta-blocker. And I said, no, no, no. And now I'm a little concerned. I am aware that usually I'm stressed, but I I feel like pains on my left side uh, of the chest. And that's the, the side that the doctor told me it's not functioning properly. Uh, if I take more mother worse, would that help?
2: It will help there's nothing to be afraid of in terms of nitroglycerin, however, what nitroglycerin does is it immediately dilates the blood vessels
9: yeah that's why right. yeah I, I and
2: it's non addictive and basically has Very little side effects. The only real danger you can get into is if you take a lot of nitroglycerin. A friend of mine uh, thought she was having a heart attack, and so she decided to take a whole bottle of nitroglycerin, and they told her she was lucky she survived it, and the only reason she did was it was way out of date.
9: Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was told it's without side effects, but my ex is a doctor, so I don't trust him. Right. (laughs)
2: He is basically without side effects.
9: Okay, so I can take nitroglycerin. No, it doesn't happen all the time, just occasionally. When I get upset, I can notice that, yes.
2: Right. It's called stable angina, and it means that if you are stressed, either physically or emotionally, you're going to have some chest pain, and the nitroglycerin is an immediate remover of that pain, which helps you be less stressed.
9: But I thought that I'm taking this uh, baby aspirin every other day, as the doctor said, and that would do the, the it is for, for loosening the arteries, right?
2: No, it affects the viscosity or the thickness of the blood.
9: Oh, I see.
2: So As a matter else. of fact, it is no longer considered good medical practice to have people take aspirin on a daily basis because the rate of death from hemorrhage from the aspirin is far greater than the number of people who would die if they didn't take the aspirin. Uh,
9: I take it only baby aspirin is that...
2: I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying that it is going out of fashion. Because the studies Mm -hmm. are very conclusive that overall aspirin causes more death than it prevents.
9: Oh, well, of course, I'll stop taking it if I get the nitroglycerin.
2: I wouldn't say that you have to stop taking it, and you might want to take it, but do be aware that it can cause bleeding and it can cause internal bleeding, which you can't see. No, I don't want that.
9: So um, the the mother worth would be um, an option and
2: uh,
9: my, my glycerin whatever
2: you know whatever movement you can do
9: I get movement very of course is the real key to cardiac
2: health and I remind us again of the wonderful talk I went to by the herbalist um, Christopher Hobbs who uh, said to us that he was invited to talk about herbs for heart disease at a big medical conference, and he was, you know, really freaked out, so he, like, really studied up on it. And he said, she looked at us, and he said, do you want to know what the one most important thing is in having a healthy heart and not dying of a heart attack? And we all went, yes, and he said, fiber. Cyber?
9: Fiber. Oh, fiber.
2: F-I-B-E-R, fiber.
9: Yeah, I heard fiber.
2: Mhm. So that's, that's, if I was concerned about my heart or my heart health, that's what I would do is I would, you know, get out the books or go on the Internet and I would say, what has lots of fiber and what has lots of fiber that I would like to eat? Sure, beans have lots of fiber, but maybe I don't want to eat lots of beans. What else has lots of fiber besides beans? Fruit has lots of fiber. Ah, dried fruit. I can certainly add more dried fruit to my diet. So, take a look what has a lot of fiber in it, and see what you can add. Mm -hmm. I
9: don't know. Take
2: a look. Find a book. Go on the internet. Say foods high in fiber on the internet. You'll be able to do it. And I'm going to say green blessings and bye bye to Tanya. Thank you. Thank you. Can introduce Nicole Moore. She's a home birth mama. She's been given birth to two, and right now she's living in the forest by the sea in an off-grid mud brick house that she built with her partner. And I'm curious to know where that is on the planet. So when she's talking, I'm going to ask her that. Nicole is all about conscious evolution. She knows that when we collectively recognize how vulnerable a baby is, through exploring our own vulnerabilities from this period and looking at the lifelong impact of the limbic imprint, the more care we will take in our birth practices and so be able to bring beings in in a way that makes our species flourish, our connection to the earth and each other thrive, and that is aligned with an evolutionary perspective. Nicole is committed to spreading the message that we have the ability to positively influence our offspring's capacity to love, cherish, protect, and surrender to each other and to live in an interconnected, harmonious life at one with each other and the earth. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Hi, Nicole. I'm not being able to hear you. Are you there?
0: I'm hearing a message from her that she's trying to get through. Susan, she is in New Zealand, and she says she's listening and pressed one, and her number is a New Zealand number, and I'm looking for her to come in. So, um, I've got a message for her, and I
2: apologize. Mm-hmm. I'm not when I'm looking at the phone number here. I'm not seeing the code for New Zealand, which is going to show up on your screen. I think.
0: Correct. This may be... Hello. Here we are. Here Nicole? we are. <laughs> oh, Hello, so
2: Nicole. Nice. I, w- I wondered yes. if it was Australia or New Zealand, because I could tell by the pattern of the numbers, that was one of those two yes. places. What part of New Zealand?
10: No, I'm actually in Australia. I'm on the East Coast of you are Australia. in
2: Australia. Okay. Yes. Okay, what part of Australia?
10: Um, uh, it's called the mid-North Coast of New South Wales. It's um relatively undiscovered, vibrant food bowl. All
2: with, right, with wonderful. Really <laughs> and of, you know, and like so that's where you live in the forest by the sea.
10: Yeah, yeah. So it's like we grow papayas and tomatoes pretty much all year round. There are some areas that frost, but um you know it's all like papayas and mangoes and banana
2: country. Amazing. How does being a gardener support what you're doing with your life?
10: Well, apart from the uh, obvious, you know, when you <laughs> have a bit too much human contact and you need to retreat to the plants. Um, so, yeah, uh, that, that's a fairly obvious way. Um, but uh, the, the site um living close to the land for the last 20 years has so really deeply entrenched that, growth, rebirth, death cycle. And um, yeah, I, I think that that's one of the main ways in which living close to the land informs my work in the world and, and my, you
2: know, personal mm. <laughs> The yeah. more and more I allied with plants, the less, less I was able to garden.
10: Because <laughs> yeah, basically sense.
2: I came to understand gardening as warfare on the plants.
10: Yeah. <laughs>
2: it can be. And, and, it can be. And really, I mean, what am I doing out there in the garden? I'm selectively murdering plants, right?
10: Yeah, and eating. And okay.
2: what?
10: Eating from the garden. So, you know, along with the
2: the selective murdering. In order to get but, those... Um, Oh, I have to pull out the grass.
10: Yeah. Look, it, it, does, it does happen. As a
2: gardener, I have to selectively murder plants. Because the essence I, I, of garden. I want my plants to grow.
10: Yeah. There's a lot of self-seeding that goes on as well, and that's very, you know, that's a very... Um,
2: well, it's one of the reasons
10: that I, in one of the, way that, of gardening.
2: One of the reasons I veered more and more to um, using weeds, mm. because they are they are the gifts. So rather than make war on the weeds and pull them out, and make the plants that I wanted to grow grow, I just gave way to the weeds and said, "Yes, I, I'm going to eat you."
10: <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. So, that I freed myself from making war on the plants because it was hurting my heart.
0: So, how, yeah.
2: how does gardening interconnect with child raising or childbearing?
10: Well, um, my own personal experience of, you know, or initial experience of that, beyond also using herbs and things in my pregnancies, was giving my children their first meals from the garden. Was Quite possibly one of the most satisfying experiences of my life, and it was again the papaya, bananas, and pumpkins uh all from the garden that was there amongst their first foods, so that's one way <laughs> that that was yeah personally just very very satisfying and then the um, the cycles that I mentioned for myself that awareness is also absolutely amazing for them to just grow up entrenched in that and you know learning how to delicately take something from a plant so that uh the rest of the plant isn't damaged in any way or you know that kind of thing i think it's very there's a lot of lessons from the garden for children and it's just a beautiful way um to kind of live in symbiosis because they're generally pretty entertained in the garden too when they're very young and that's quite helpful. You get a little bit of time to, um, yeah, do whatever it is you like to do in the garden.
2: <laughs> you know, just gardening and living off the grid and this mud brick house, this is kind of like, just kind of like leftover from the 70s. It,
10: it's, it does seem a little bit like that. <laughs>
2: Um, I, I think that... Um, Believe me, they do, Nicole. I always say to them, yeah, what have you produced that's been anywhere near as good? Mm. I mean, yeah. that, that what we put on the planet in the late 60s and through the 70s is still going strong because it was real good. So I'm all... <laughs> Um, what, is it, what does it mean to you that you live off the grid? Does it simply mean that you don't get your electricity from the grid, but that you provide your electricity in some other way? Or does it mean that you live off the
0: yes. Um,
10: I didn't quite catch the last bit. My daughter's trying to ring me. Excuse me for just one second. I'll ask my son to text her. Darlene, could you text me, Annie, and tell her Mum's busy? calling because it's interfering with the call. Thanks, Helen. And just check if she's all right. I'm sure she is. Um, back to you, Susan, we were talking about was, the, um, the power now, source.
2: The grid. Yes. Because I have found that the specifics of that can vary. The words are quite clear, living off the grid, which means you're not getting your electricity from the grid. And I've been in places that live off the grid, and they have... Uh, you know enough lead acid batteries to poison the entire environment to produce their electricity, and I'd rather see mm. them to the grid.
8: Mm. Yeah,
2: living um, off, and you don't use electricity. Does that mean you produce your own electricity? What does that really mean?
10: Uh, we do produce our own electricity with solar panels, but of course, there's elements of the panels that aren't the best either, as well as the batteries. Um, why, that's
2: why we're killing people in Afghanistan, to make those solar panels, you know. Oh. There are rare earths that are only found in Afghanistan that are used in solar panels.
10: All right. wow, I haven't heard about that. That sounds dramatic. You're I'll have to look it up.
2: Solar industry for a year until I got so disgusted by it that I had to leave. Mm.
10: Yeah, well, look, I'm for not- me...
2: Um. The okay. term of grid. But I'm also not saying that there's a reason for the grid. And the reason for the grid is that when an individual family produces their own electricity, it usually poisons the environment far more than if they were on the grid.
10: Wow, really? Yeah. Through what? Through the batteries?
2: Exactly. The batteries, right.
10: well, there's, I mean lots of different individual
2: types of batteries. Batteries. to create electricity is very expensive ecologically and when you're on the grid that expense yeah. is reduced because many people are sharing
0: yeah
10: well that's true um, look our location is such that we couldn't connect to the grid if we wanted to um, but Also, there's lots and lots of different types of batteries, and um, I think it's a a nickel iron that they they say that the same batteries go. There is apparently a battery that was one of the first test runs from um, Thomas Edison that is still operational today. So that's a pretty good, um, you know, working life. That's a nickel iron.
2: And that's the batteries you use?
10: Um, We're actually just about to get some of those because our other batteries have just recently died. Um,
2: Because they haven't been available.
10: Right. Oh, well, they're available now and we've got some arriving on Thursday. (gasps) (laughs) So that's good. And I'm hoping that they'll last, you know, a good couple of hundred years for our household. But who knows? But for us, you know, so living off the grid, definitely it's related to the power thing. And the location of this um, block of land um, or this, you know, this place is such that we can't get electricity. We're quite deep inside the forest and there's no power lines or anything. So um, there's that element. But also for me, off the grid means um, disconnecting in other ways too. One thing about this property is that it's, Um, under a certain type of protection and and is listed um, as a wildlife sanctuary and that is definitely related to the wildlife Um, but um, I always like to think of it as um, wildlife with a gap in between the two words that it's a a sanctuary for wildlife. And for me, living off-grid is kind of connected to that. I walk naked on the beach. I pee on the grass. I pick fruit direct from the trees. You know, I'm living a life that is um, definitely wild in some degrees. And I absolutely love and cherish that. So for me, that's what off-grid is connected to as well, is that there is a whole bunch of things that go on in the outside world that I don't need to be a part of.
2: Exactly. Is that your vision for the world? Is that what you see as a remedy for the current global solution?
10: Uh, it, I think it probably would be, but I can't see it happening. Like, it's not very urban. There's a whole lot of people that this isn't appropriate for, that, you know, just wouldn't ever choose this. You know, there needs to be more space for urban connection. And, and I mean, there is. There's plenty of, um, you know, kind of whatever, eco-villages that are based in... More suburban almost settings. Um, we're, I, I live on a community and we're in a rural setting, so that means that we're quite spread out, but we're connected through all of our decision making and stuff. And so you have, socially,
2: you know. You have regular meetings where you make decisions and you see each other and talk about things at times? Yes.
10: Yes. And we're, we're temporarily on hold with all that. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh.
2: <laughs> which is and crazy. Is, is that by consensus?
10: Oh no, I think there's a few people are going along with it because it's like a great opportunity for a little break from everyone.
2: <laughs> decisions that are made, are they consensus decisions? In other words, does everyone Summer. need to agree or is it um, the majority wins? Um, both.
10: There's there's some villages, so we've got little cluster villages, and some of them still operate on consensus. But uh-huh. the larger community meetings and the general meetings, they operate on a um, two-thirds.
2: Two-thirds, uh-huh. uh-huh.
10: Yeah. So, you know, but it's fairly egalitarian, you know. Like, there's no one vying for power. There's too much to do. Nobody would want any, you know. Like, I mean, things happen. Like, people will... Um, Stack the meeting or something, but you know, it's all pretty. Every, everybody gets a fair go.
2: That's great. And the total number of people in your community is 100, it's about now, 200. About 200. Nice sized group.
10: Yeah, yeah. So we're um, growing plenty of food here amongst each other, and our, you know, pretty unified response to the COVID thing has been for everybody to just get out into the garden and start planting. Yeah. Uh,
0: um,
10: you know, and and seed swapping and growing seedlings together, getting seed orders,
2: mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And who keeps the goats and who keeps the chickens?
10: Uh, well, I've just lost my last chicken after a good 20 years of hosting them, and I'm quite happy to have a little break from girls. And uh, we also need to do some work to their area where they've been living. The soil needs to be treated with diatomaceous earth and stuff. There's a few uh, mites living there. And um, so I, yeah, I'm one of many households that have chickens. Um, goats we don't have. There's a bit of a thing here around uh, hard-hoofed animals and and their impact on the land.
2: General, your so community doesn't like animals.
10: Um, well, we're deep in the national park, so we've kind of got a limitation on animals. Um, I,
2: and so you in order
10: to protect. Have, that the might
2: get natural. in. The park. Got it.
10: Yeah, we're just trying to maintain a, a native ecosystem here, even amongst all our vegetable gardens.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, do you have a vision about what's happening or what will happen, or? Share more about what what you're seeing.
10: Yeah. Well, as I was listening to you read out my bio, I realized, gosh, it's so um, such a grand vision, you know, of humanity thriving. I, I do believe it's possible. Um, I do believe we are collectively carrying a whole bunch of old wounds and you know baggage of various kinds that. Um, doesn't make it easy for us to work together so you know of course with the COVID thing and it's all this big discussion about you know now's our time to turn things around and one of the things that we really need to do to turn things around in whichever way so you know our social issues our environmental um, you know tragedies that need to be reversed all the things that need to happen on so many different fronts for humanity to make this place um heaven on earth you know that it can be and that it is you know that it really is like i'm not saying it's not um but in order for that to be sort of more widely available for the people that live on this planet we've got a lot of work to do together and one of the things that stops us from working together is this trauma you know for the last 70 years people have been born with a lot of suffering You know, and a lot of unnecessary um, interventions and sort of medicalizations of their experience, which often, not always, but more often than not, resulted in various types of separation really, really early on. And, you know, the premise with which I offer this particular branch of work for the world is that um, the way we are born has a really deep impact on the way we live. And if I've got a vision of togetherness and working together, um, going back to the core root of our capacity to do that or not means looking at birth trauma. So that's kind of where I put my energy out in the world. And, um, you know, I'm hoping that definitely the tide is turning. There is a really big wave, a big groundswell of people who know that it's important to bring babies in well. You know, the... the. Um, as you said earlier, you know, what came in in the 60s and 70s was good and pure and likewise with the resurgence of the natural birth movement that that began in that time and is still alive and well and thriving and growing, especially now with COVID, which is fantastic. There's more and more women turning to home birth. Um, But so many people are actually um, understanding now that birth is important and that's great for moving forward. We also need to address our own wounds, because, as the kind of you know adults steering the ship right now, um, we also need to work together, not just our children in the generations to come. you know we don't want to leave the entire mess for them. So that's my vision. Does that make sense?
2: It absolutely does you know i have, I have a very you know, fairly ordinary birth story. Um, My mother was allowed to labor up until when she got to transition, and then she was told that the pain would get too bad for her, and she was knocked out. And so I was, you know, pulled out of her by forceps and wrapped in white and put in a white crib in a windowless, white-painted room. And so I went from, as you said, you know, heaven on earth, being inside my mother, having everything I needed provided to me, to suddenly having nothing. Mm. Not and anything. no
10: visual stimulus either.
2: Right, not even her presence. And so, mm. to the help of my teachers, I went repeatedly back to that room, and I cut a hole in the wall so that I could see... <laughs> I have to admit, Nicole, when I first cut the hole in that wall, there was nothing outside, not even like a lunar landscape, nothing. I mean, just nothing. And I actually Mm. had, you know, the whole scene out there for little baby Susan to say, hey, life is abundant, life is rich. Mm. Life is not about deprivation and not getting anything. So I think that certainly... um, Helping women to embrace what they can get from a home birth, which is, even if we had three days to talk, I don't think we could even begin to scratch the surface of what a woman gets from a home birth because it's about so much and so deep and so rich, um, Mm. can make things different for everybody nonetheless. And I keep this statistic front and center in my kitchen so that I see it every day. On planet Earth, a woman dies in childbirth every minute. Mm. And the vast majority of those women are not in hospital. Mm. Childbirth is. Now, I've been a little negligent and I do apologize and had such a good time talking to you that I didn't ask you how people can get in touch with you. What's the, if people want more information or to ask you things, are you open to people getting in touch with you and how should they do that?
10: Absolutely. Uh, so I'm Birth Into Being Australia on Facebook. There is a page there. You can reach me through that. Uh, it's just Birth Into Being at, on Instagram. And my website is birthintobeing.com.au. Uh, my website deals specifically with pregnant women, and then there's the birthintobeing.com website, which looks at the wider implications of birth trauma for our culture. And you know that is absolutely pumping full of videos and articles and things that explain the basic premise that I mentioned before—that the way we're born impacts the way we live—and and that it is workable and malleable, as in your stories, Susan, and uh, cutting a hole in the wall. And there's lots of, lots of amazing um, journeys we can go on to free ourselves from that initial birth trauma. And, yeah, that's
2: what I love doing. Yes. And um, tell us a little bit about your children and how um, their births have impacted their personalities and their ways of being in the world.
10: <laughs> okay, so my son, who is now 17, almost, well, he's going to be 18 in September. Uh, we believe he was conceived down at the beach. And um, he was born in water here at home.
0: And uh, our
10: house wasn't built at that time. So I'm looking over into my kitchen right now. And um, we actually had a teepee set up there with a big bath and a beautiful fire and a mattress and everything. And It was huge teepee. And um, he was born in water there and basically spent easily the first six years of his life on the beach. And he's still doing that. He's a wildly enthusiastic hunter at the moment. And um, he goes spearfishing all the time. So And diving where he plucks crayfish out of the rocks and brings them home to dinner, which is always welcome. Um, And my daughter was my second birth and that was remarkably fast. Like it was an hour and 20 minutes from God and I didn't actually make it into the birth pool for her, whereas my son's birth was a 21-hour kind of epic rite of passage number, you know, in and out of the birth pool, various levels of surrender. Um, But my daughter's birth was... and yeah I was alone for most of it actually um, because we didn't imagine how fast things were moving and there was a few things that needed to be done My the the pool wasn't filling up and so my partner had to go down to the dam and pump up some extra water to get some more, um, you know, the weight of the water flowing Um, and yeah... I just feel like I'm still paying forward to some degree the um, powerful effects of that, those birth on my consciousness. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today, you know, doing interviews, um, doing workshops, doing crazy Facebook videos. <laughs> um, you know, I run online courses and things like that. And, you know, you have to sort of push through various levels of um inhibition and overculture kind of influence to do those things and i strongly believe that my birth and then going on to study with this limbic imprint recoding and all the amazing processes i've done on my journey within this body of work um it's allowed me to do all this kind of stuff you know to sit and talk to a stranger on the other side of the world and know that there's a bunch of people listening <laughs> And it's given me conviction. More than anything I have deep, deep, deep conviction. You know, those births were absolutely um absolutely incredible, mind blowing, you know, for for all the best reasons of um of an uh, physiological birth, you know, all the hormonal gateways were thoroughly moved through, um, culminating in a massive dose of oxytocin which just was absolute bliss. Absolute bliss. Um, and like, needless to say, both my darlings are um, incredibly strong alpha beings who are quite hard work to deal with. So those experiences of me tapping into my own strength have also been called upon repeatedly in my mothering.
2: Interesting. Interesting. I remember being at a midwife's gathering and... Uh, was talking about my own story of giving birth to my daughter, which was very interfered with. And uh, the midwife was commiserating with me, and she had a a babe in arms with her. And she said, oh, you know, but that, you know, my babe and I, she was home birthed, and she's been with me. You know, she hasn't been away from me a second in that whole time, and we just know each other intuitively. And, you know, she hardly ever cries, and everything is wonderful. And three hours later... She comes downstairs with a screaming infant who has just started teething and says, will someone take this child from me before I s- swing it by its heels and bash its head in? And I had to laugh to myself. And that even a home birth does not guarantee that you can deal with the screams of your teething infant.
10: <laughs> oh, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, I mean, that transcendent bliss is, like, fantastic. But I, I'm sure that... Um, yeah, it's understood that it's a moment, right? <laughs> All the normal challenges and um, everything mm. exist beyond that, but it absolutely takes, amazing moment
2: takes you over that place where women are now experiencing depression.
10: Yeah, look, it just—it definitely gives you some, a massive hormonal kind of um, injection, for want of a better word. Um, you know, that does sustain you for months. Mm -hmm. Um, Saying that, you know, there's still lots and lots of challenges and especially when you get to all those milestones of teething and so on. Yeah. You know, you still get sleepless nights, you still get, you know, arguments with the partner and so on, but I I believe that um, those experiences have given me an element of strength that, you know, I know that I have consciously called on.
2: Yes, I love it when Jean Shinoda Bolin was asked, Why did you write Goddesses in Every Woman? She said, I was giving birth and I realized that I was every woman and that every woman was a goddess. Mm. And I you know, it's yep.
0: just
2: so succinct, right? What were you doing? I was giving birth and I suddenly realized, Whoa! <laughs> Look at how many women have done this and we're all the goddess. Oh my gosh. Let's talk about it. Nicole Moore, what a delight to talk to you tonight. And we have gotten to the very end of the show in which I ask you, what would you like to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's been listening to
10: you? Uh, A vision for a beautiful world that we're all co-creating and moving forward towards together, either from birth and as mothers or as a community that holds the mothers um you know our ongoing interaction with our earth mother today's earth day or something apparently world's yep. earth day yep. yeah yeah <laughs> um i posted a video that i made here on my you know in the community that i live on um i posted a video today with some, I, that I made with some women dancing and everything. So I would like to leave that with your listeners. Maybe they can go and check that out and, and see that video and help, have that vision of a beautiful, beautiful world that we're creating together.
2: Thank you, Nicole Moore. Thank you for helping to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. And thank you, Catherine, for helping me restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. And thank you, Justine, for all of your support. And thank you, listeners, green blessings, and good night to everybody.
0: Good night, everyone.